great. All right, why don't you go ahead and open to John, the Gospel of John. We are going to be finishing up chapter one. And then after, actually after this Sunday, we'll pick up our pace a little bit, uh, going through uh, some of the stories. It's actually reading a a commentary on the book of John by D.A. Carson, which if you're interested in further study, uh, his commentary really is a fantastic one. Anyways, at the end of his discussion on chapter one, he has a note for people who are teaching John, and his note, uh, in his note, uh, sort of a side note, He says, if you're teaching through the book of John, don't spend too much time in chapter one. You're going to drive everyone to boredom. Uh, Move quickly through chapter one, even though there's so much there, and get on with the story of Jesus. So we're going to wrap up chapter one today and then continue on over the next couple of weeks with some of the initial stories of his life. So... Uh, Today we are in John chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 35, but I want to uh, reiterate my introduction uh, that I offered in the last two weeks. I want to offer it again, and uh, for some of you, uh, you've heard me say this the last two weeks, and I want you to hear it again. Uh, I need to hear it again. We're after what we're going for. It's a better relationship with Jesus. That's what we're seeking, is to better understand who he is and who we are in relationship to him. John has a mission in his writing. This is not just a historical account. This is a historical account. It is not just a set of propositional claims that together make a worldview. What John is trying to do, in addition to those things, is introduce you to the person, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and I will, I will lay out the petition again this morning to you. It would be worth your effort. It would be worth the, the sacrifice of your time. In fact, it would be so worth it it would, it would cease to seem like a sacrifice if you were to invest special time, extra time, in getting to know Jesus through his word, and even particularly now through the gospel of John, on your own, in your own time, that you would deepen your relationship with him. Uh, three Sundays ago, we looked at who Jesus is, Uh, John's claim about his nature, and I said then, I said last week, and I'll say it again, Jesus is truth incarnate, that he is all of the principles of God uh, revealed in flesh. And then last week, we looked uh, through the testimony of John the Baptist at how John the Baptist understood himself in relationship to Jesus. If Jesus is that, then who am I? John made several statements about himself that kind of described who he was in the context of understanding properly who Jesus is. And I suggested last week that you can't understand 
who you are until you understand it in the context of, in the light of who Jesus is because you were made by him, through him, and for him. So get to know him. What I want to do this morning, now that we have examined uh, each side of the relationship, I want to direct our attention this morning to the nature of that relationship. If, if Jesus is what he claims to be, and now I understand who I am uh, accordingly, how then do I relate to him? What is the nature of that interaction? Can you throw the picture up on the screen that I have there, Scott? You guys recognize anyone in this picture? Anyone? The guy on the left is Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. Jeff Bezos founded Amazon uh, like 25 years ago. And Jeff Bezos is worth something like $140 billion. Uh, to his right in that picture is his personal assistant, John Connors. Now, the average executive assistant at Amazon has a starting salary of about $84,000 a year. I'm guessing Jeff's executive assistant probably makes a little more. <clears throat> But Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, has been making, in the last 25 years, $15 million a day for 25 years. That's what it pencils out to, $15 million a day. What I wonder is how you have a working relationship with someone whose time is that valuable. And maybe I'm just quirky in that. Like, hey, can I just have a two-minute conversation with you? Well, it's gonna cost you a million dollars. Just kidding, I made a million dollars while we were talking. It's interesting, right? To have such an extreme value differential between two people that are so closely connected. The value differential, the power differential between us and God, between us and the Son of God, creates an interesting dynamic that some of you, unlike any other relationship that you have, some of you have really wrestled to figure it out. How do I, being me, on my salary, have relationship and interact with the Son of God, the King of the universe, the creator of all. What does that look like? What does it consist of? So, what we're going to do is I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to read John, um, starting at verse 35. I'm just going to read you the story. And again, I might offer a little commentary as we go. And then after... Uh, after I read through the story, we're going to come back through it and, and derive some truths about the nature of our relationship to Jesus. What we have here in this story is uh, really the first interactions that are, that are written down for us, an account 
of his first interactions with some people, okay? So, John 35, uh, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, you can read along in your Bible. I think this is from the ESV. There is a Bible on our app, and we also have free Bibles over here. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love to give you one. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Yeah? Perfect. Scott's ready. Again, the next day, John, speaking of John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples, these are John the Baptist's disciples, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So two of John the Baptist's followers heard John's claim and then followed Jesus. And Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and he said to them, What do you seek? What are you after? What is it that you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come. You'll see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon's brother, or Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Now a little caveat, what he's referring to is all of the prophets who have spoken of someone who would come to save Israel. Andrew says to his brother, we, we think we found him. We think he's here. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And the next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Philip, come, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip went and found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him. The one uh, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I was going to make a joke there about Anchor Point, but I'm not going to. And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in, him, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said, uh, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, you are easily impressed, young one. 
Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God descending or ascending and descending on the Son of Man. John 1. That's what I want to do. Four truths just through this simple narrative, these initial interactions, four truths uh, that will help us understand the nature of the way that we relate to Jesus. The first one is this. The invitation of Jesus is to come and see. Verse 39, he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said, well, where are you going? And he said, "Uh, come, come and see. That little phrase, come and see, that word, come, is, is revisited repeatedly throughout the ministry of Jesus and then later in the discussion of his second coming. It's the invitation extended to come and see. In fact, I would suggest that invitation, invitation, is the operational mode of the ministry of Jesus. It's an invitation. There is not coercion. There is not manipulation. There is not threatening. It is invitation. In fact, I would suggest that the means of God in securing our devotion and our affection is through invitation always. Because in invitation, our free will is never compromised. Because for love to exist, there cannot be coercion. And Jesus says, oh, are you, you're, you're interested? Come. Come along. You're invited. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you at this time of year, middle of September, feel like you have labored to be in heavy laden? Anyone? Yeah, a few of you. It's that time of year, right? Where the accumulation of our labor starts to feel heavy. We need to slow down after hunting. Come to me, all who labor, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It doesn't say you need to figure out your heavy ladenness And once you've got that dialed in and whatever you need to take care of there, let's talk. No, there's an invitation. You who, who, who in in seeking to please the Lord, 
in seeking to do all of the right things, in seeking to raise your kids right, and love your spouse right, and do your job right, and honor God in everything to the point of being exhausted, there's this invitation, hey, come. Come to me. I want to show you something. I want to show you how to live within the reality of rest. It's by invitation. Revelations 22, 17, I read this last week. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. It's by invitation. The invitation of Jesus is always to come and see. Come and see. Psalms 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it. Just take a bite. You're invited. This invitation, this this non-coercive, non-manipulative invitation is extended repeatedly throughout the ministry of Jesus. Just a few verses later in verse 43, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip and he said to Philip, Philip, come. Come follow me. It's an invitation. It really honestly blows my mind that in a relationship where there is such a huge differential that Jesus, the Son of God, King of the universe, can so kindly, gently, and warmly extend the invitation. Come. Just try it. Try walking with me. The invitation of Jesus is to come and see. Secondly, the invitation of Jesus is to be transformed. As we follow him, as we walk in proximity to him, as we live under his light, illuminating our reality, the invitation of Jesus is to be transformed. I want to clarify here because this is a word that's used in Christian teaching. Transformation is not taking something and reshaping it like you would do with clay into something else. Transformation is taking something and altering its basic nature or its basic substance into something else. It becomes wholly of a new substance. The invitation of Jesus after inviting you into proximity, into relationship with him, leads to inevitably transformation of your whole mind and your whole heart. Jesus looked at him in verse 42 and said, you are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Peter, the rock. I have a plan for you. I'm going to make you into something new. And that newness will bring value. 
going to read you a little passage from Isaiah 62. This really reflects this heart. I don't have this on the screen. Isaiah 62. Uh, this is God speaking. Remember, this is when Israel had just completely abandoned him into immorality of every uh, shape and size. This is what God says. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations, all of the other countries, will see your righteousness and all the kings will see your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you and you will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. That's fantastic, the heart of the Lord in that. He's looking at this absolute disaster. His people, the descendants of Abraham, and he says, no, 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 I will not relent. I am going to see this through until you become transformed. And in doing so, I will give you a new name. Jenny and I have been married for 21 years, almost. Which is a long time for me. It's the longest I've ever been married. And uh, early in our relationship, she's talked very openly about this. In fact, her testimony is in our home book. Uh, we had some challenges. We had some difficulties. And uh, we both had our own difficulties, our own challenges in the relationship. Um, but for Jenny, one of, uh, a part of her challenge was um, uh, finding uh, stability, finding a firm place to stand in the midst of navigating some uh, just difficulties in our relationship, uh, difficulties stemming from past experiences, was finding that firm place to stand and not being uh, tossed about, so to speak. Well, I want to tell you this story very carefully because uh, my mother-in-law is here this morning. My wife was named Jenny from birth, named after her mother, Jeannie, and her father, whose nickname, whose name is Dennis, but whose nickname was Denny, and so she's Jenny. It's a fine name. It's a fantastic name. It's a great name. And it means white wave. And there was a time, it was about probably four years into our marriage, just seeking the Lord on behalf of some of our, uh, our relational challenges. I just had this vision of like, God wants to do something uh, incredible in the life of my wife, to transform her, to become, in fact, the very opposite of what she was. And so I named her Peter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually was looking through the scripture. And I, literally, I really, truly, I had this sense, like, uh, I, need to, I need to give her uh, a, a spiritual name 
that, that is infused with hope, that speaks to that, that, that rock-solid faithfulness that, that I know that God wants to bring about. And I came across the name Selah, S-E-L-A, which means in Hebrew, rock. And it goes over better than Peter for a girl. And so I wrote my wife a little thing and I gave my wife the spiritual name Selah. which now is our daughter's name, so that's confusing, but... <clears throat> because the invitation of God is always to transformation. God looks at Peter and he says, Peter, and, and listen to the language, you shall be, you shall be, you will become. And if you read the story of Peter, Peter was not very much of a rock. He was more like rock and roll through most of the ministry of Jesus, right? If any of them were volatile, it was probably Peter, and yet he looks at him and he sees that future potential for transformation and invites Peter into that. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of the Lord in proximity, having responded to the invitation to come and see, and in seeing, in witnessing, beholding, observing Jesus, the person, we are transformed into his image to varying degrees of glory as we are in relationship with him. The invitation of Jesus is to be transformed. Number three, the invitation of Jesus is to be known. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, I've, I've known you. I know you. Before your brother Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. The invitation of Jesus is to be known. This is the experience of the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. After her, her interaction with Jesus, she returns to town and says, Come and see a man who told me everything that I did. Can this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? There's an interaction at the end of John, at the end of John's story. So here we have this, these initial interactions, but at the end of his ministry, the very last interaction that we know of before the ascension, before Jesus rose to heaven, is Jesus on the beach roasting some fish with his disciples. And he has this conversation with Peter, this follow-up conversation uh, with his dear friend Peter, 
where he asked them the question, do you love me? The story tells us that he asked it three times. But what I love about this story is Peter's response each time. He doesn't say, of course I do, of course I love you. He doesn't say, well, let me remind you of the things that I've done to show you that I love you. Peter says the first time is, God, you know. You know me. You know that I love you. And then the second time he says, you know that I love you. You know, because you know me. And then the third time he says, you know everything. So, of course, you know me, and you know my love for you. The invitation of Jesus is to be known. And I would suggest that being known is one of the most complex parts of our relationship with God to navigate, is to be fully known, is to stand completely in the light of who he is, and to be known without hiding in shame, without covering, without saying, yes, I want a relationship with you. I just need to uh, clear up a couple of things, and then I'll be ready to face you. Yes, I, I, I want to be fully submitted to you, and I realize that there are these other things over here that would seem to say otherwise. I'm going to be right back, and I'm going to get this together to prove that I'm serious about this relationship. Invitation of Jesus is to be known and to walk in that. Oh, it's so liberating. It's so freeing that at every, at every encounter of my own brokenness, at every encounter of my own weaknesses where I, I discover my own fallenness, to have as a first response, Jesus, you know me. This is not a surprise to you, even though it's a disappointment to me. You know me. And you love me. The invitation of Jesus is to be known. Number four. Last one. And this gets to the very heart of how we understand our mission at Church on the Rock. And that is that the invitation of Jesus is an echo. It always is. Jesus echoes the Father. And what we see is in the ministry of Jesus, even in that little short story that I read, is the, the repeat or the reverberation of that echo immediately. One of the guys who follows Jesus after John says, this is the Lamb of God, is Andrew, and the story tells us in verse 41 that the first thing that he did was he went and he found his brother, and he said to his brother, hey, hey, Simon, you should come and see what I found. Philip is called by Jesus. The invitation is extended to him. Come and follow me. And Philip Immediately, the story tells us, he went and he found Nathanael and he said to Nathanael, hey, you should come and see what I found. The 
This is what I love about the Revelations 22 passage that I read just a minute ago. The spirit and the bride say come. Bride is the church, right? So Jesus says, come and see. The Spirit says, come and see. And having come to him and seen and witnessed and walked in the light of who he is, the bride says to everyone listening, you should come and see what I found. Let the one who hears say, come. It's an invitation to come and see. The invitation of Jesus is an echo that is repeated through the lives of his followers. I want to give you some instruction here for those of you who are in relationships with those that you're seeking to help. Uh, I just had a conversation this week with an old friend, uh, not someone from here, and uh, just listening to really a sad story of uh, brokenness, of hurt and relationship, and then now confronting the consequences of that hurt trying to figure out how to navigate those consequences, possibly try to prevent some of those consequences. It's just difficult story. You guys have heard difficult stories. In my younger years, I would hear something like that and I would, I would be overwhelmed with the weight of trying to uh, understand how to help them step forward. Should I do this or that? And all of those decisions in those moments of crisis, of personal crisis, feel so consequential. I could do this and that could be a really bad idea and I could do this and that could be a really bad idea. How do I move forward? tell you how you move forward. You draw near to Jesus. Like a rescue ring that you would cling to him for dear life. That you would see him clearly and in observing his life that you would know how to walk, how to, how to follow in his footsteps, how to take up your cross as he did, how to face suffering as he did, how to love the unlovable as he did. That you would learn from his otherworldly ways And that in drawing close to him, you would be transformed, that you would be known. And that in experiencing that transformation, you would become an echo of that same invitation to others. You will not hear me say, I invite the worship team to come up. You will not hear me say, Aaron Weiser say, well, maybe this will work, you should go try this. 
what you will hear me say on repeat if you spend enough time around me is, hey, you should come and see what I found. Because I'm pretty confident that I found the Messiah. And I was introduced to him by others. But I found him. And you should come and know him. That invitation is on echo. So what is it that you're wrestling with? Is it a relational crisis? Is it a financial crisis, a health crisis? What is it? Is it a crisis of integrity, morality? You're stuck in that? Whatever it is, there's these messages in crisis that push us away from Jesus. And I would say to you, no, no, no. His invitation, he knows all of it. He already knows. His invitation is that you would come near him, that you would come and see him, witness him, behold him, and that you would be transformed. That's the invitation before you. And that's the invitation that for those of you who are mature in your faith should be echoed out through your life in every interaction that you have. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. As you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is, who you are in his presence, and the nature of his invitation to you, you will discover what many have discovered who have gone before you. And that is that Jesus changes everything. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? We have a couple of ways now to respond to him. Uh, These are made available to you each week. Uh, We celebrate the body, blood, the crucified Lord through taking communion. Every time that we take the bread and the cup, we are remembering in a tangible way that it's his life in us, his body crucified for us, broken for us. Uh, I'm going to have prayer team members over here. If you would like someone to pray for you for anything, they would love to join with you in prayer. Uh, You can respond in giving. There are receptacles along the back. And together now as his church, we're going to respond in celebrating him through worship. Let's sing. feel like that brief uh, exchange in John 1 has happened in all of our lives. We see Jesus there. We kind of start following him and he turns around and he says, what are you, what do you want? What are you after? What are you seeking? And we say something like, "Uh, where are you going? And he says, come. Come and see. Come with me. I'll show you. I can, through our time on uh, on these mornings, um, I can set the table, but I can't make you eat. 
would petition you again to make some substantial move in your own life to increase your pursuit of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do something. Move towards him. Make it real. I'm going to ask the prayer uh, team members to stay put for a couple of minutes. If you want prayer as we finish up here, uh, they'll be available. Again, check in with your house church leaders about tonight. Stay posted for our service location next week. And once again, we have several critical people in our teardown team that are running through the rain and the hills. So if you can stay put for a little bit, help us tear down. We don't officially end until 1230. God bless you. May his spirit be with you. Have a great week.